Just you got to give me a minute to start the audio. Yeah, The message today is entitled, Created, Not Evolved. In the, in the Apostles' Creed, we find these words, I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. In the opening book of the Old Testament, Genesis chapter 1, verses 1 through 3, we read these words, In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was formless and empty and darkness covered the deep waters, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the surface of the waters. Then God said, Let there be light, and there was light. Philip Johnson, a law professor at the University of California, was recognized back in about 2004 for his work dismantling the Darwinist empire that dominates American culture. In 1991, he sparked enormous controversy by publishing a book called Darwin on Trial. Taking Darwinists at, on their own terms, he concluded that the arguments they put forward lacked sufficient evidence to back up their sweeping conclusions. In the years since, he has continued his attack on Darwinism through a steady stream of articles and books and speeches debates, and other public appearances. He says this, Many Christian leaders think the creation-evolution debate doesn't really matter, but they're wrong. And not just wrong, but terribly misguided. The fundamental question is whether God is real or imaginary. The entire way of thinking that underlies Darwin evolution assumes that God is out of the picture. And he goes on to say that his greatest frustration comes not from dealing with secular scientists who are mostly but not entirely hostile to his arguments, but from Christian leaders and pastors, even very good pastors, as well as Christian college and seminary professors who sincerely believe that evolution and the Christian faith are ultimately compatible. 
He writes, the problem is not just convincing them that Darwin's theory is wrong, but that it does make a difference whether it's right or wrong. They would prefer to think, well, it's just one of those things scientists argue about, and we'll leave it to the biologists to sort things out as best they can. And what's really at stake, he argues, is not just the first chapter of Genesis, but the whole Bible, from beginning to end, the first word to the last. So what can we learn from this ongoing controversy? Well, first, I think we should learn that we have a clash of competing worldviews in our culture. The debate is not just about dinosaurs and DNA. It's really a debate between competing worldviews. Evolution at its core views the world through a lens that is naturalistic. It attempts to explain the entire universe without reference to God. As Johnson says, the evolutionist assumes God is out of the picture. Either he doesn't exist or it does, he doesn't matter. To say it that way means this controversy is somewhat more important than, than finding the precise location of Noah's Ark or explaining the fossil layers in the Grand Canyon. The scientific issues and arguments serve as a kind of mass for the real transcendent issues of ultimate truth. And that's not a small thing. In evolutionary theory, there is no ultimate truth. Only an endless series of theories, some believed, some doubted, and many discarded. Evangelical theologian Albert Muller offers this explanation. He says, for over a hundred years, the dominant scientific establishment has been moving toward an enforced belief of naturalism, the understanding that everything in our world can be explained through natural causes. They've been working to discount any explanation that's connected to anything religious. According to this worldview, the universe is a closed box that can be understood only on its own terms, with everything inside the box explained only by other matter and processes within the same box. The box itself is explained as a cosmic accident, and naturalistic science allows no place for a designer or a design in the entire cosmos. Evolution as a worldview leaves God out. As I said earlier, either he doesn't exist or he doesn't matter. And that's why compromise positions such as theistic evolution, those who regard religious teachings about God to be compatible with modern scientific explanations and understandings, don't necessarily work for everyone. They attempt to join two things, creation and evolution, that some see as fundamentally incompatible. There are many Christians, including some who hold a high view of Scripture, who believe in evolution as the best explanation for the origin of the human race. But they are often viewed as inconsistent in their faith or undermining the authority of the Bible by trying to accommodate a contrary viewpoint. Now, secondly, I think we should learn that the Christian worldview rests upon the truth that God created all things. 
Comedian George Carlin once said, we created God in our own image and likeness. And he's right, but not in the way that he meant it. We didn't create God, but we do create gods just like us. Gods of our own liking, gods of our own making, and that's one of the basic problems of the human race. It's also why the Apostles' Creed puts the doctrine of creation right near the beginning. The Christian worldview stands 180 degrees removed from the evolutionary worldview. The biblical writers repeatedly ascribed all of creation to the work of God. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Hebrews 11.3 tells us, By faith we understand that the entire universe was formed at God's command, that what we now see did not come from anything that can be seen. Genesis chapter 1 tells us something important about how God created. Eight times the phrase is repeated in Genesis 1, And God said, God spoke, and light shined through the darkness. He spoke, and the waters receded from the earth. He spoke, and dry land appeared. He spoke, and vegetation appeared. He spoke, and the sun filled the sky by day, and millions of stars twinkled by night. He spoke, and the sea teemed with fish, and birds began to fly. He spoke, and cattle grazed and squirrels gathered hickory nuts, and otters frolicked in the streams, and the kangaroo began hopping across the outback. Finally, he spoke again and created Adam. He breathed into Adam the breath of life, and Adam became a living soul. And when Adam got lonely, God took a rib from his side and created Eve. This is how the human race began. The Bible tells us plainly that the universe exists by God's command. He spoke and it came into being. The Bible emphasizes this truth in a number of places. Psalm 33, 6, the Lord merely spoke and the heavens were created. He breathed the word and all the stars were born. Psalm 33, 9, for when he spoke, the world began. It appeared at his command. Psalm 148, verse 5, Let every created thing give praise to the Lord, for he issued his command, and they came into being. 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 5, They deliberately forget that God made the heavens long ago by the word of his command, and he brought the earth out of the water and surrounded it with water. In one sense, Science and faith begin at the same place. Chaotic nothingness, meaninglessness. To recite the Apostles' Creed and say, I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, is to identify God as the creative force who brings creation out of chaos, who brings beauty out of barrenness, who brings light out of darkness and life out of nothingness. 
We believe the Spirit of God is the creative power who brings light out of the dark emptiness and brings into being all there is. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. That's the beginning affirmation of our faith and the ground level assumption of the Christian life. But what are the implications of this affirmation for our lives? What difference does it make for us to say that God is the creator of heaven and earth, the one who brings creation out of chaos? For one thing, this affirmation means that behind the created order is a purposeful creator. The infinite expanse of galaxies stretching beyond galaxies bears witness to its creator. Psalm 19, 1 through 4 tells us the heavens proclaim the glory of God. The skies declare his craftsmanship. Day after day they continue to speak. Night after night they make him known. They speak without sound or word. Their voice is never heard. And yet their message has gone throughout the world and their words to all the world. God has made a home in the heavens for the sun. See, the Bible is not a science book that tries to analyze creation under a microscope. It is a book about faith that celebrates the power and the purpose of the Creator. The more we expand our understanding and the more we stretch our minds to comprehend the processes of creation, the larger our faith can become in the God who is the creative power at work in the universe. So we don't become enamored with our own intelligence. We need to be reminded to believe in that God is the maker of heaven and earth and acknowledge our own limitations as part of his creation. We are finite human beings, bound by time and space, incomplete in our comprehension of the creation and of the creator. The tiny amount that we know is surrounded by infinite mystery that we will never comprehend. To believe in God as the maker of heaven and earth is to celebrate that mystery and to live with that sense of awe and wonder. You know, the Old Testament records how Job struggled with all of this. In the middle of his suffering, his well-intentioned, intelligent friends used all of their human wisdom all of their powers of logic and debate to try to explain to him the ways of God. And after they have done their best and their worst, God finally comes onto the stage, and when God speaks, it is with high satire and profound irony. Hear these words from the Old Testament book of Job. Then the Lord answered Job from the whirlwind, who is this that questions my wisdom with such ignorant words? Brace yourself like a man, because I have some questions for you, and you must answer them. Where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? Tell me if you know so much. Who determined its dimensions and stretched out the surveying line? What supports its foundation? And who laid its cornerstone as the morning stars sang together? and all the angels shouted for joy. Who kept the sea inside its boundaries as it burst from the womb 
and as I clothed it with clouds and wrapped it in thick darkness. For I locked it behind barred gates, limiting its shores. I said, this far and no farther will you come. Here your proud waves must stop. Have you ever commanded the morning to appear and caused the dawn to rise in the east? Have you made daylight spread to the ends of the earth to bring an end to the night's wickedness? Do you realize the extent of the earth? Tell me about it, if you know. Then the Lord said to Job, Do you still want to argue with the Almighty? You are God's critic, but do you have the answers? And Job responds, I love this, Job responds out of profound faith and trust. And Job replied to the Lord, I am nothing. How could I ever find the answers? I will cover my mouth with my hand. I have said too much already. I have nothing more to say. There are times when the most eloquent expression of faith is simply silence. To live by faith is to live with that sense of awe and wonder that stand in silence before the greatness of God and His creation. To be honest with you, I have problems with both extremes in this whole creation debate. The totally secular scientists who reject God and the fundamentalists, the religious fundamentalists, who are way too sure of themselves as if they have God figured out. Each side seems to declare their positions with absolute answers. I believe there is a mystery to the acts of God that we will never figure out. Genuine biblical faith acknowledges that we are human and our understanding is incomplete. In Revelation chapter 4, verse 11, we read an interesting lesson that relates God as the the creator of all things. In heaven, we are told, there are 24 elders who represent the redeemed of all the ages who cast their crowns before the throne of God and worship him. And this is what they say. You are worthy, O Lord our God, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things, and they exist because you created what you pleased. A few verses later in Revelation chapter 5, verse 9, we discover that these same elders fall down and worship the Lamb, the Lord Jesus Christ, for the redemption that he purchased with his own blood. And they sang a new song with these words, You are worthy to take the scroll and break its seals and open it. For you were slaughtered, and your blood has ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. Note that creation comes first, and then redemption. The 24 elders first worship God because he is the creator, and then they worship Christ because he is the redeemer. The question is this, if we lose the doctrine of creation, will we eventually lose the doctrine of redemption? The story of creation leads us to the reality of the human condition, in Genesis 1 and 2, it tells us where we came from. 
And Genesis 3 explains how sin entered the human race and why we need a Savior. <clears throat> Take away the factual reality of the first three chapters of the Bible, and we have to ask ourselves if the rest of Scripture can truly be trusted. What is at stake is not just the first chapters of Genesis, but every word of the Bible, from the first to the last. No wonder the elders first praised God for his work in creation. Without creation, there would be no redemption, no Christ dying on the cross, no forgiveness for our sins, no heaven, and no hope of eternal life. But there is something else we should notice from Revelation chapter 4 and verse 11. God created all things by his own will. The King James Version translation says he did it for his own pleasure. God created the universe because he wanted to, not because he needed to. So let me tie all of this together as a way to wrap up this message today. We will never properly understand the universe until we get to know the God who created it. If we leave God out, we've missed the fundamental truth about the universe. In order to understand human origins and true history of the universe, we must begin not with the speculations of science, but with God's understanding as he has revealed it to us in his word. Start there. And we're going to start on firm ground. Start anywhere else, and we sink into the quicksand of humanistic unbelief. We have to start with God. That's why the Apostles' Creed begins with this phrase, I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. When we put God at the center of all things, then everything else finds its proper place. Proverbs chapter 9, verse 10 tells us, Fear the Lord. The fear of the Lord is the foundation of wisdom. Knowledge of the Holy One results in good judgment. We can't fully know the universe and, its and the answers to the great questions of life until we know God. I'd like for you to consider these three great questions about life. Where did I come from? Why am I here? And where am I going? The first question is the most fundamental. Until we answer it, we cannot answer the last two properly. We won't know where we came from and why we're here, where we're going, if we think we evolved up from the slime, if we believe we arrived on Earth by chance as the result of blind evolution over millions or billions of years or assume that we are a product of an evolutionary stream that started when a bolt of lightning hit the primordial soup in the dim reaches of our distant past. Three words summarize the biblical teaching regarding where we came from. Created, not evolved. We need to teach that simple statement to our children. Created, not evolved. Right it in big letters so they can understand it easily. Make sure they know it and know what it means. Let them learn that they were created and fashioned by a purposeful and loving God. 
They did not evolve from nothingness. And then when they are older and are, are exposed to evolutionary ideas in school, no matter what the expected answers are on the biology test, they will know in their heart that they are created, not evolved. Our children need to know this before they're exposed to evolutionary teaching. And they need it long before they go to high school or college. Nothing is more fundamental than strengthening our young people with the biblical truth that they were created by God and not the product of blind chance. In his first public address, Pope Benedict XVI addressed this very issue. He said, we are not some casual and meaningless product of evolution. Each of us is the result of a thought of God. Each of us is willed. Each of us is loved. And each of us is necessary. When God put the world together, he put us in it. God created us with the DNA and the genes of our parents to be he, who he fashioned us to be. All human beings created in the image of God have been fashioned since Adam and Eve. Arms, bones, eye color, hands. The psalmist says he knitted me together in my mother's womb. In short, God made us just the way we are. We are an original, a one-of-a-kind, a limited edition. We are unique. Think about it this way. We are here because God wanted us here. It doesn't matter if we were a surprise to our parents. We weren't a surprise to God. We belong to God. He made us the way we are, and we can't escape him even if we try. Truthfully, we won't be content until we know God intimately. He put a God-shaped vacuum inside our heart that only God can fill. He made us and he loves us in spite of our sin and he sent his son to die on the cross and rise from the dead so that we could go to heaven. Our creator has become our savior. That's how much God loves us. Everything starts with the God who created us. Start anywhere else and we will be perpetually confused. We'll never know who we are until we know who God is. That's why the Apostles' Creed calls him God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we are amazed at the wonderful way Job refused to deny you even when he was going through the most terrible circumstance any human could possibly face. Thank you for ignoring those times when we too are foolish enough to regret our life or wish it away. Because we're in the middle of some great difficulty or depressed by the circumstances of life. Thank you that you know the end from the beginning. And thank you for giving us Job's story to show us how his distress brought him to a deeper knowledge and understanding of who you are. Help us to keep the eyes of our heart on Jesus and keep trusting you in every circumstance of life. Deal with us and with all of your people with eternity in view, just as you did with your servant Job. And we thank you in Jesus' name.
just as after I started, and I go, I can't just stop here. 